and ride with me in my foul life. Here's what I want to know real quick. Have you fed the puppy at all yet on any of your dogs? Have you, have you been messing with any of the new puppy performance, the new release from Yukonuba? Yes. Yeah. That's uh, when it came out, we were one of the group of the kennels that tested it. And that's some pretty phenomenal stuff. Yeah, man. I love the results we're getting out of it. I got a, I got a puppy in Indiana named Izzy, a black lab, American lab, which I want to get in with you. But um, she's performing really well, um, getting some titling done and uh, getting her first tests out of the way. But she's she's uh, got a lot of stamina, a lot of energy. Just it seems like, you know, what I see out of it is just the, the disposition every day. The happiness of the puppies is like I haven't seen one bit of sadness in her in in the time she's been on the food. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Biggest thing we seen was like our litters coming up, coming off of the moms like previous litters were about a pound to pound and a half less than the new litters that we brought up on the puppy pro so it was almost like even for us and you know the imported genetics we've got they were a little bit bigger pups and it seemed happy more energetic just all around a whole lot better than what we had been seeing yeah i agree and i'm, I'm getting that I've, I've got several uh two different people in california feeding it and one in nebraska and they're both getting great results out of it too so i'm keeping up daily with everybody on it just it just blows my mind with this company like how they can keep elevating the nutrition part of a dog's life and in a lot of different pets life in their line of foods but um you know i've been up there i'm sure you have too and visited up in the ohio area and, and on the the kentucky border there and just the the research and the just the, I guess, just the all around insight that goes into this food and the biology that goes into this food. And, and I mean, it, they just mastered it and they continue, you know, it's kind of like that deal. Like I shoot Benelli's, you know, and I duck hunt and I'm like, how do you guys come out with the super black Eagle three when the super black Eagle two was so awesome. And that's what I asked. That's what I asked Russell Kelly and all the folks up at you can all the time is like, how do you, and they just have an answer. They're like, well, this can improve and this can do it for eyesight and this can do for teeth. And th it's just yeah. crazy how they keep advancing. Yeah oh yeah absolutely yeah i love it i love the brand so give me an idea real quick um british labs um you have a lot of history and, and experience with british labs why and how does a man like you go into british labs what is the difference with the the breedings of british and american labs and do you sway over to, or do you favor british labs because of a certain reason um no, I think it's just the where I got my start. I mean, for me, and I've always told people it's they're very similar in a way, other than the venues that both sides compete in. And, you know, from the field trial hunt test to the field trials run in the UK, it's totally different. Um, so, I mean, I, to me, that would be the only difference of 50 plus years of breeding to fit those different venues that they're running with the dogs that's the biggest difference um people say the size but you know I've, i feel like i've even seen with the american dogs the size starting to change back to your you know 50 to or your 55 to 65 pound male range and then your 45 to 50 pound female range and that's what we've had with the imported genetics for years um the dogs that we get come from Ireland and Scotland. So it's 
the temperaments, like the driving, the field, the markability, all that is somewhat similar, but it's still different. Um, so I, I, I hate saying there's a big, huge difference. I think it's more of the venues the dogs are running that separates them, but in reality, it's kind of the same. What What is the differences or what are the differences that you've seen, Jeremy, of um, give me some hunt scenarios. Um, what kind of hunting do you do mainly? Do you hunt quite a bit? And what are the differences we're going to see in the field? Is it disposition? Is it energy level? Is it drive? Is it tenacity? Um, are the are the British labs as good of athletes as, as the American labs? Because they're usually a little bigger, you're saying? Or give me an idea of some of the differences I would see in the duck blind. Um, I would say a little bit of kind of the conditions the dogs will handle so from you know late august first september going into february march the cold temps that's in scotland and ireland man that's that you got to go way north here in the states to get kind of what i would call close to that kind of weather so i think the dogs handling a different environment different cold you know is, is a big factor um for me and the differences that I've seen and, and some of the, um, some guys that I've dealt with over the years that actually got one of our pups and he was a big American field trial guy, American dog guy. And so it was good to get him a pup and let him kind of train that pup up to kind of let me know the differences because he had done it for so long. And I agreed with him. I think imported genetics like you throw a mark in a wide open field you know cut grass they're marking it with their eyes and they're running to it but they're running with their nose so it's not like an american dog i think where their first instinct is their eye because of all those years of how they run a field trial in the uk of the game finding ability of the dog, the no strong part of the dog, that's a, a difference that he's seen and that I have seen over the years is American dogs have that laser focus marking ability and the dogs that we run in the UK, they have good marking ability, but they it's almost like their first instinct is their nose. They're going to mark it with their eyes and run to that area, but as they're running to it, it's the nose is working first if that makes sense um you know and i feel like that's uh one of the big differences and i think the other big one is just you know those guys are in some cold so these dogs handle the cold a little bit different i think not saying the americans can it's just you know, a lot of the dogs that we work with, you know, the coldness over there, man, that ground is hard. So their feet, you know, toughen up real good. Um, but there are areas here in the States, I think, that we have a little bit rougher cover than actually, you know, a lot of their heather and a lot of their thicker cover is still not like some of the stuff you can see down in South Florida or, you know, places like that, that our dogs, you know, go through, you know, especially during that time of year. So take me back. Um, you have, you're in the military, you're a Navy swimmer, correct? Yes. So where does it start with coming out of the military in your career? Where does it start with dogs? Why the fascination or the, the, I mean, obviously a ton of admiration, respect for them, but why does this become a Navy swimmers livelihood? Um, I mean, I, I come up in what I call the 
the duck woods here in Alabama or the duck swamps pretty much, you know, back when Ducks Unlimited was big back in the 90s, early 2000s. So, you know, a lot of the Ducks Unlimited shows was with Drake, with Wild Rose, which was based around kind of the British dog. Um, so when I started digging into it a little bit, some of the first books I read and kind of got into was some of Robert Milner's stuff. Um, but I mean, I grew up and, and I think more of what I call the UK style method of training fit what I grew up with, with my grandfather and my dad doing GSPs and pointers and setters over the years is they were a little more of, I don't want to say positive based type training, but more of the um, not really forcing the dogs to do a lot. They wanted a lot of natural ability and the Llewellyn setters and stuff that they were raising up that I grew up with. So I think that kind of shaped or directed me towards the UK style dog. Uh, it's always been about hunting for me. I mean, we've run hunt tests here in the States. We've run some trials over in the UK, but it still always comes back to me for the hunting. You know, that's why I got into this. Um, and I think that's what shaped me into the direction I went with kind of imported dogs. And when I was in the Navy, uh, when we weren't, you know, running flight ups and stuff, I was working with a kennel kind of part-time, just hanging out, doing a lot of free stuff, cleaning kennels, feeding dogs, throwing birds. And as I got out of the Navy and she kind of retired, it just, kind of fell into something that I had a passion for. I mean, I really didn't even, what I would say, go at it trying to start a business. It was more of just a hobby that I really liked and I'd train a friend's dog here or there and it just kept growing. Um, got out of the Navy, was going to school full-time, working a full-time job and working six to 10 dogs. And as the months went by and dogs finished and I got more dogs in and was finishing school, it just started bouncing out where like, um, you know, I had more dogs and I could, I kind of started seeing, Hey, I might could do this full time, but I was, you know, never really sure how to make it work. Do you, do you find that this is kind of a weird question, but I know that you've done, you know, you're a military guy, you're, uh, did you serve? Did you go into theater? No, uh, the time that I was in, there was nothing there. It was in between, um, the Gulf war and then everything that started after September 11th. Um, I actually kind of transitioned out right before September 11th happened. Did you go through like buds and that type of swimming in the, with the seal, the seals? No, we went through, uh, some of the seer type training, which, uh, but it, and we worked with some of the teams, um, but we were strictly kind of safety ops. You know, if planes went down or somebody jumped off the boat, we went and picked them up. So was, was there any sort of like therapeutic things that you were seeing with the dogs that would help you like anything that you faced in the military. I just, I just know how, how therapeutic dogs can be and how duck hunting can be in the duck blind. But was that part of it that you had an attachment with dogs because of the therapy they provided? I think so. I think it was more of kind of seeing the teamwork that you get, you know, from training dogs in general. Um, 
Whereas, you know, I've always said people have a way of screwing a lot of stuff up or bad things happen and it was never bad with the dog. So I would definitely say it was therapeutic, but it was more of like a calling, I think. Um, it just felt right. It felt like something that I was supposed to be doing, if that makes sense. Um, I've described it before. My dad was a preacher uh, when I was growing up. So I think, you know, a lot of the guys back in the day, uh, like him, got a calling from the Lord to do things like that. And for me, I felt like my calling was to work with dogs and help dogs have good home lives uh, to where some people that wasn't as knowledgeable about owning a dog, it may be their first dog, is teaching them, you know, how it's supposed to be or how it's supposed to go or not give up on the dog, that kind of scenario. Is it today, does it does it ring true, everything that you just said? Is it the same exact feelings you have when you're around the dogs today? Because a lot of times when you work in what you love, they people tend to think that you lose your luster for it. But I see you shaking your head. Is it even more so now as you, as you get into, like, I don't know how old you are, but I'm going to guess you're in your 40s like me. Like, does it even become more, uh, like, uh, more and more awesome every day? It does. It does. So, like, the gun dog thing is definitely – my strongest passion of what I do. Uh, I think today for gun dogs and the way that we do things, a lot of our clients that we train for that buy a trained dog from us or buy a puppy from us and go through one of our gun dog programs, it's a lot more thought out process. Um, so I really like that, but something that really kind of what I would call soothes my soul is the outdoor adventure stuff that we do where we work with a lot of different breeds from Griffons to GSPs to Collies to Blue Healers to rescues. And it's these people that are going out and rescuing on a dog, whether it's, you know, kind of a, a hybrid or a multi-breed dog, or it's getting into a Griffon or a Drotar or, um, chassis uh like some new dogs that we've been seeing are the ridgebacks and it's people that are outdoor they're not necessarily hunting uh but training those dogs up that get that family out of the house off the tv get the kids off the phone and get them fishing or camping or getting into hunting um that is that sole satisfying thing that we do now um it's it's good when it, for me it's satisfying when they bring us a dog that they're at their wits end with and we train it and you as they're coming in through the program and learning what we're doing and learning how to handle the dog and seeing that teamwork kind of link up and the family link up with the dog that's that's what that's why we do it every day i want to make sure i have it right so adventure dogs and, and what's the what's the exact name of it uh outdoor adventure Outdoor Adventure is the is the company. Um, is there an Instagram for this or a, a social media platform? Yeah, it's uh, the Whistling Wings Kennel or the Ultimate Sporting Dog. Uh, that's the website. It kind of links up with the program that we run for that. Um, but it's the Outdoor Adventure Dog. It's not just a hunting dog. It can be guys that don't bird hunt, but they deer hunt. And we teach them the shed and blood trail, shed hunt and blood trail, or clients that take pretty big um trips out west to fish you know and the dogs sit in the boat with them or the dog runs the river with them and they can load the dog up on a rock fish 60 yards 
blow a sit whistle, cast the dog down the bank to the next rod, to the rock, sit them up, tell them to sit, and then keep on fishing. So it's just uh, kind of the everyday, everything kind of dog, as I call it. So these are dogs that were rescued or these are dogs that a family might've gotten and didn't, they, the dog didn't live up to what maybe their quote unquote expectations were. So they give it to another person. How, how does it work? Somebody adopts one of these dogs and then, or, or they bring the dog to you, the program, and then somebody adopts it from you when you're done with it. Uh, no, these are more dogs owned by people. So they've rescued maybe from a group or they've bought a pup from us or they've bought a pup from another breeder and you know they're they're outdoor people are wanting to get into the outdoor fun you know and that's kind of how they find us and so they enter their dog into the program and we start training and start kind of building that teamwork of what they're going to be doing with the dog i love it so when you talk about not just hunting dogs or what would be the ones we think of as sporting dogs um are they gsps are they all pointer retrievers are they flushers are they labs are they golden retrievers or are you getting into the poodles and all of the smaller breed dogs too that you're training we've had some of the doodles as i call it go through the program um i would say like a lot of the shed hunting blood trailing dogs that we do that are outdoor adventure are more of the retriever type breeds, chassis, goldens, labs, um, GSPs, Griffon, stuff like that. Uh, more of the just outdoor type dog going fishing or going camping, hiking. We see some of the doodles or some of the, the rescue dogs that were going through a program because they had been picked up, something like that. And the family rescued them and they're looking to have the dog trained and getting outdoors getting some kind of activity with the dog with the family how many dogs are on your property in your kennel and how many personal dogs do you have i see you're married so how many so how many dogs in the kennel how many personal dogs at home and are all of the how are all of your home dogs your pets and your hunting buddies are they all house dogs um we have eight dogs that are personal dogs that are labs um they are hunting dogs they're family dogs they're hunting dogs a lot of the trips that we do with some of the films that we do for the kennel are, are those dogs um and then we run about 30 dogs in training um that go from our obedience program to our outdoor adventure program to our gun dog programs and do you believe in house dogs? Do they all sleep on the bed and the couch or do they, or are they all gentlemen and princesses that when they're told to place, they're in there, they, they, they're completely under control at all times. I assume. It depends on who's in the house. If it's me, they're on their dog bed and they're listening. If my wife's in here, they're on the bed, they're on the couch. They're kind of getting <laughs> to do what they want to do. So, um, I would say, they're family dogs and they're house dogs when they're in here. Um, and you know, it's, if we ever need them to load up on the bed because we got company coming over, they listen. But when it's just a family laying around watching TV or the kids outside playing, they may go out there and chase a Frisbee or a tennis ball with the kids. But you know, the minute you snap your fingers or tell them to heal and go run some setups or go train for a little bit, you know, they're spot on. So, are you telling me you have eight labs that sleep in your house every night? Not all eight at one time. I would say we have up to about four in the house at one time. 
Okay, so let's move on to what what I'm I'm really excited about is is getting more and more knowledge and more and more um, education for myself, not in a greedy way, but I want our listeners to be educated on this diet and why somebody like you that's has this reputation of putting out great dogs. Why do you choose you can but this isn't a, a hard sale. I just kind of want to know with all I was in a tractor supply day before yesterday, Jeremy. And I was like, how does it, a soccer mom come in here and pick a dog food? Like how does a dad come in here that just got a golden retriever puppy and go like, well, there's that and there's that and there's that. There's a lot of marketing to human beings in there. There's a lot of wool being pulled over people's eyes in my opinion, because I'm reading the labels and I'm kind of trying to figure out like what's what. And some of the packaging is really professional, right? And you would get sold on that, but it doesn't mean it's necessarily going to be a good experience for that dog. Am I right in saying that? And then please, Jeremy, tell us why, why you canuba. Um, for me, it's the same way we've done our research for the type of dogs that we use. So it's digging into what fits the goals that we have set for the dog. And for Yukonuba, I feel like they put in the same kind of work as we do training and developing these dogs and to developing the nutrition they need. So you know, for us or for our clients, they're investing a lot in the dog, the time, the money, the effort, the knowledge they need to kind of continue the dog. And that's why Yukonuba was a good fit for us. I feel like they have really changed the game a little bit with having the different levels of food that are is out there for the different type dogs from search and bot type dogs to the you know the sporting breeds of these you know real intense trial dogs to the real intense gun dogs to more of a relaxed type outdoor adventure type dog like the exercise formula i mean for us it just fit exactly what we do and exactly what we put into our dogs and what our clients put into it do you think that Okay, I got to ask you this because I was I kind of got some sticker shock the other day when I was doing um, just a little study on pricing. And we're both duck hunters, so I think we're both going to be on the same page of this, of the sticker shock somebody might come across now, even after, you know, post-pandemic of anywhere from 86 to $95 a bag right now, you know, for a for a bag of Yukonuba Pro Performance, the 3020 um I know there's other, you know, the exercise and there's the adult and there's the, a, a bunch of different foods like you mentioned, Jeremy, but talk to me about how you evaluate that and how you talk to your customers of like, look, this is how much we spend on this and this is going to cost this. So if you really break it down per meal per day, is this kind of your approach on it of how you look of how important this dog is, how important this dog's health is, he or she, and that this diet is going to keep them around in a healthy state for many years, you know, Lord willing. But is that how you break it down on what it's going to cost per day to raise a dog and feed a dog? Yeah, I mean, the, the way the way we look at it, the way we talk to our clients about it is like, you know, it would be great if we could go to McDonald's and eat the nugget meal, every meal and, you know, easy, it's decent food, but it's not going to give us the quality nutrients that we need without becoming 500 pounds or out of shape or whatever. So it's, 
the same kind of emphasis that we put into our intake of food is the same way with a dog. It's looking at the ingredients and, and having a food formula that's built for everything from the downtime of the dog to the exercise to more of the amount, you know, it's, it's, we, the biggest difference we seen when we switched over a couple of years ago to Yukonoba was the amount of food that we were feeding, which also controls for our situation, a kennel, the, outtake of the dog from the intake to the outtake um but the quality of their coats the quality of their stamina to train every day and push hard and recover from that you know we were seeing dogs especially running some of the quail hunts we were doing for a couple of years down in florida um you know that's some extreme heat even november to february down there we were seeing dogs rebound faster um coming off the truck, picking birds or running with the pointers and kind of being a strike dog or just hunting up birds that have been shot that, you know, nobody could find. The dogs would go out and run for 15 minutes and in another three minutes, they're ready to go again. You know, they're not, tongues not hanging out of the mouth. And I feel like that food and the water intake we were doing was fitting that very well. That was a big factor for us that we've seen change. But a lot of our clients that here at the kennel that have dogs in the gun dog program or even the outdoor adventure program, they, you know, they're spending the time and finding a training program to put their dog in. And 80% of the time, those people are also doing that same research in the food and they're feeding the upper level foods like Yukonuba. So it's like I tell the guys, Jim and them at Yukonuba is that, it's not a hard sell for us for a lot of our clients um it's they talk to us and if they know that we're feeding it and we're talking about it they make the switch pretty fast um so i think it's they trust us they trust that we have found a very high quality food and i mean it's like anything else the cost have went up a little bit over the last year or so but there's other things I would rather cut costs on like the type of bumpers we're using or the type of leads that we're using or something that I know is not affecting the health care or the livelihood of the dog. You know, it's, um, that's just like buying a puppy. You know, it's, it, we tell people, even people that call us about our pups, do your research. I know you called me about a pup, but do your research, do, do your research on the mom and the dad, come see them talk to us several times. Don't just call me on a Saturday and want to pick up a pup on Sunday. It's it's do your research and get the right dog. Cause you're going to have it for the next 15 years. Right. And so do the same thing about the food. Don't put all the effort and all that money into getting a really nice genetically structured dog and then go feed a low quality food because you're not going to get the outcome that you're expecting. Uh, you could create, you know, skin issues or can, you know, coat issues or something like that. So it's, you're doing all that homework into the type of dog that you're buying. You need to put that same effort in the quality of food that you're feeding the dog. I, I think that the approach of having masters at their craft or very highly regarded people in their, in their area of expertise, like yourself, Jeremy is so it's not like you're, I don't know, this is maybe going to sound ignorant, but I think there's a lot of 
influence going on in today's world of social media that doesn't have a whole lot of credibility. When I look at uh, somebody trying to, you know, that's on there to get likes and they're like, well, use this discount code for 15% off this holster. And I'm like, I don't even know if you really know how to put that holster on or put the handgun in it or load the hand. Like I have all these questions in my mind. So I think it's so valuable that the influence that you have like on, on face to face, you know, interactions with clients and they're watching you feed this food that you pay for. I know for a fact, we you're not getting all of your food for free. Okay. You're, you're yep. paying big money for you Kanuba too, but you believe in it and you've become what is more than an ambassador, more than an influencer. You're becoming somebody that people can go to that store, whatever retail location is and say, I heard this podcast or I saw this guy's, uh, social media i saw his website and know that you live it every day and i think it's a great approach by you that they're not just out there saying hey jeremy we're gonna pay you all this money and give you all this free food for you to do this like you can't afford to get paid money and free food if it's not going to perform for your livelihood and your dogs that you care so much about so this dog area this dog training and kennel area is so much different because you are working with a living animal that has to perform on a daily basis and you're not going to put your reputation or that dog's health in question by just taking money and getting free food so i think it's like the best case scenario for a company and a brand like you can do but to have somebody like you and all of their other trainers on this team uh, don't you, you see what i'm saying yeah yeah no i agree because that's uh coming up my family was really big and uh horses and western pleasure shows we've got a saddle club that up until recently they were continuing to run shows and i can remember growing up you know a lot of the horses that our family showed weren't just out in the fields grazing you know we were putting them on a special kind of feed and special kind of supplements and it you know it it gave them a good quality life to give them good quality build and train well and get ready for the shows and i've always i guess part of that when i was younger seeing that and experiencing that and as i got into this this dog game i brought that over so i mean a, a good quality food pays off in so many different aspects of the training the kennel life the home life the traveling for our hunts to the different kind of events that we do from going out west to fish and take a little time off to going on hunts the upcoming season or pushing through you know the hunt test or traveling to the uk and running some of the trials yeah i want to talk about that i don't know if we have time today but i do want to get in with part two about the uk and some of the experiences there but let's let's talk about what we also uh love in in duck hunting give me and the listeners jeremy an idea of your blind bag and your vest or your lanyards lanyards i don't know how many you have with your duck calls your whistles your your remote do we have a collar on every dog during the hunt? Do we have a remote? Do we have a whistle? Do we have our duck calls, our goose calls? Um, do you, what do you carry in your blind bag? Do you carry some kibble? It, what kind of snacks do you provide during a hunt? Do you feed heavy before the hunt? I assume not. Do you feed a little bit after the hunt? Give me an idea of how the morning goes when you're getting your dogs loaded up in the crates to go on a duck hunt. Uh, in our blind bag, you know, we have the normal shells and extra duck calls in case something breaks uh extra whistles in case you know we lose one or something like that 
some of the dogs we don't run e-collars on um some of the young ones that are building up for hunt tests here in the states we do uh, and that's just to keep them honest and keep them straight and on the narrow in a way um but I mean, it, as far as the feed, we're feeding kind of a normal schedule. I think the biggest switch that we do is like, uh, which we're getting ready to make it in October, we go from the exercise to a 30-20. And so we start throwing a little more protein, a little more fat. Um, but the amounts that we're feeding don't really change. Now, if it's a good, long, hard six to seven days of hunting every day and we're out in Kansas or something like that, extreme weather, we'll feed an extra feeding that afternoon after the hunts, but the morning before um, we're feeding our normal feeding schedule, we're not changing that much. Um, and from time to time, if we're in some extreme conditions, um, we'll carry a few kind of like protein type bar stuff that are built for dogs to kind of help them a little bit, you know, I think it's more of help for me, you know, cause I'm carrying beef jerky or sunflower seeds or something that kind of gets me through the day. If I know we're going to be out there for a long period of time. And for me, it makes me feel a little better knowing I've got something in the dog for the bag to kind of munch on while we're sitting there and nothing's going on. Um, but other than that, I mean, that, that's pretty much all that we carry. Um, maybe some extra leads in case we've got to move or, we're around traffic or we're around something that could endanger the dog. I've always got a lead so I can put it on the dog and control them. Even knowing they're finished level, they're trained, they're not going to do anything. It's just too many bad things can happen. So we've got kind of some of those safety measures in the bags that we carry. Do you, when you believe in a high quality diet like this, you can do with supplying for duck hunters and dog trainers and kennels and pet owners. Is it okay to feed a dog a biscuit? a bite of a biscuit sandwich that you took out of the South at the lodge. If you forget his treat, is it okay to give him a bite during the duck hunt? I think so. I mean, <laughs> I think it probably depends on the dog. You know, it's, if I've got a dog and I feed him a biscuit cause I'm eating one too. And then later <clears> that day, he's kind of tore up as far as going to the bathroom. I'm probably not going to do that again, but you know, no, I, I think it's fine as long as it's not, an everyday occurrence or something you feel like you got to do every day. I'm not big on table scraps or, but you know, the dogs that are in the house, it's uh, if I'm cooking steak and I've got a couple of extra pieces, I might throw them one, you know, or chicken, you know, as a treat, but it, it's not an everyday thing, but I think it's fine to do it here and there. I think, I, you know, I think they enjoy it just as much as we do. Um, but again, I think if it messes up the dog's schedule or his nutrition or some kind of adverse effect, I wouldn't do it. Take me back to the morning of the hunt. Are you feeding? You said you don't change your feeding schedule. Are you, what is your schedule? Do you usually feed in the morning or is it an evening feed? And do you want your dog hunting on a full stomach? No. So if we're going on a big trip, we break into two feedings a day. And so like, I would say our average dog is eating between three and a quarter cups to four cups a day. Um, as we go into hunting season, we'll break into two feedings and we'll get up, you know, 4.35 in the morning, get that first feeding in them, which will usually be between a cup, a cup and a half. 
and you know an hour later we're heading out to the blind so we're not it might be a little different if i was hunting a lot of public where we're having to be out there at like 2 30 in the morning to beat the crowd or something like that um and if if that was the case we would feed after the hunt but for us we're feeding 4 35 in the morning dog gets about an hour to kind of balance the stomach out get ready for the hunt and then we're out in the field but then the majority of the amount of food that we're feeding for the day is going to ha happen after the hunt and i feel like that's for me and for our program i feel like that does the same thing as if you go to the gym you're eating a normal schedule you go to the gym you work out to kind of help build muscle content or to recoup from all the stuff that you're stressing doing in the gym, that food or that shake or that protein or, you know, whatever it is that you're intaking after a good workout kind of helps you keep building forward. It replenishes anything you've taken away. And so for us, it's kind of getting them to recoup from some serious weather conditions or serious hunts or pushing through some, you know, some good muck like at Cheyenne Bottoms, you know, that stuff can be rough on the dogs, the the muck, the wood, you know, the water, the type of cover that we're hunting and just, you know, letting them kind of relax after a good strong morning of hunt. And I feel like that rebuilds what they're losing. When you're talking about airing a dog, what in their regular, and they're on this great diet with, with you, Canuba, what, what can a dog owner expect, Jeremy, as far as timing? How long after the feed do you air a dog? Let's say you're on the road and you're going, you know, you're go, you're traveling and you feed. Do you air them right away? Can you go 25 miles? Can you go 100 miles? Well, give me, give me an idea of what a dog owner should know when it comes to the feed and then the airing out so their digestive system stays regular. Usually traveling, we know that we're going to be in the spot that we're feeding for at least an hour. And that's because as soon as they get done eating and drinking within, I'd say 10 minutes, we're airing them. You know, we're letting them run, letting them pee and poop, you know, kind of letting them balance out from the feeding. Um, and then after, you know, a lot of our, I guess I would put it our more finished dogs or our older dogs, they're already on a good schedule of the feeding and the bathroom break. So it's the younger ones. I think we have more of a frequent bathroom schedule, you know, as soon as they get done eating, we're going to be airing them. And probably two or three hours later, we're going to be stopping again and kind of letting them air and run their legs and stretch. And that's just to help them build that schedule that we get with our older dogs. Um, so I would say for the average person, as soon as you feed them, make sure you're at least going to be in the spot you're at for an hour, you know, feed, air, maybe, you know, let yourself rest, stretch your legs, walk around, airing the dogs, uh, and then jump back in the vehicle and get ready to go again. But you're saying 10 minutes, they're ready to roll after that feeding. Oh, yeah. Ours That's are. <laughs> That's kind of crazy, right? Kind of, yeah, it's kind of like an automatic reflex. Like every morning when I have coffee, it's the same thing. So. <laughs> a lot of people that chew Copenhagen say that's the the, the trigger. Yeah. <laughs> um, Whistling Wings Kennel, Jeremy, you're the man. I appreciate you coming on. Thank you to you, Canuba, for putting us together. Um, I want to do it again. I get some updates throughout the season when we're down in Alabama. Maybe we could say hello. Uh, meet at Cheyenne Bottoms. I assume you're talking about Cheyenne Bottoms in the great state of Kansas. Yes. Um, great area. I love Kansas. I love Nebraska. I love the Arkansas River that runs down there through, through like, uh, you know, south, of, you know, on 35 south of Wichita. Yep. I've had some amazing duck and goose hunting there, but 
Man, I appreciate the knowledge and good luck to you. And I hope that this duck season pays off. I don't think there's a whole lot of uh, mallard hunting or puddle duck hunting in Alabama. Or am I wrong? No, I mean, there's some. It's, but it, it's not like we do a ton of hunting in the Mississippi Delta over in Clarksdale, Mississippi. So it, that's where we go when we go after the ducks. But gadwalls and woodies and little local swamps is about all we get here. So we usually travel west somewhere to get into the birds. Well, we got to meet out somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. That's the Ukanuba Duck Dogs podcast, Jeremy. He, uh, give me, give me your uh, your Instagram or your website one more time, please. Uh, it's Whistling Wings Kennel, uh, and the website is theultimatesportingdog.com or whistlingwingskennel.com. Theultimatesportingdog.com or whistlingwingskennel.com. Ukanuba Duck Dogs, check out their entire diet. I. I, I abide by it. I love it. I've talked with Russell Kelly enough. And uh, when Jim's boo was part of the team, I would break him down and just, and just pick his brain a ton. I've been to the headquarters. I've seen the testing. I I've just gathered as much knowledge and information as I can feed you canoe, but thank you all for listening to another episode of the fat life podcast. You can duck dog series, whistling wing can- kennels, Mr. Jeremy. Thank you, my man. Thank you. Talk to you all soon. Thank you all for the downloads. Thank you for the subscriptions. And don't forget brand new episodes of Benelli's The Foul Life, where you'll find our duck dogs like Axel and Waylon and Duff and Slash. Hey, Jeremy, if you can't tell, I have Waylon in there, but I name all my other dogs after Guns N' Roses original yeah. <laughs> lineup. And I'm only missing Steven Adler. I just got a little black lab female that I named Izzy, so I'm missing one. I don't know <laughs> if I'll ever get another yellow, though. I'm obsessed with black labs, Jeremy. But thank you for being here. Thank you all um, for listening to the Yukonuba Duck Dogs podcast. Check out the song 2 a.m. Logic, My Foul Life.